Today, I'm talking with Amelia Forzak. Amelia is a New York Times bestselling ghostwriter and the founder of Pithy Wordsmithery. At her firm, Amelia leads a team of about 20 people who help clients with a wide range of services like writing, editing, publishing, and marketing their books, along with web development, graphic design, and more. Amelia's focus is helping leaders and entrepreneurs turn their ideas into successful books that boost their businesses and create a lasting impact. She regularly ghostwrites and edits books that become bestsellers, and she also has online courses called Nail Your Outline and So You Want to Write a Book. I met Amelia at a Young Guns Summit, which quick fun fact for those of you who remember Brandon Fong from a previous episode that I've done, he was actually the one who gave me the invite to this event. So wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to Brandon for sort of indirectly giving me this opportunity to meet Amelia. And of course, thank you, Amelia, so much for being with me here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So when you were speaking at the summit, I think one thing that stood out to me was you mentioned the statistic that I thought personally was kind of crazy. Uh, and you said that 81% of people want to write a book at some time in their life. And one thing I thought was interesting. So before I published my book, I had no friends, no, nobody tell me that they wanted to write a book. But then once I went ahead and actually did it, I had so many people come up to me and say, that they've always wanted to write a book. It's always been a dream of theirs. They wanted to ask me questions about how to do it. And so if I would have learned that stat before, I would have thought it seemed pretty high, but I completely believe that now. I think that's that's crazy that, you know, 81% of, right? It's 81%? Yeah, 81%. That it is a lot, right? And it's a, a bucket list item for a lot of people. And they, they want to write all different kinds of books, you know, like some people want to do a life story. So it's like a memoir. Other people want to write a book that teaches people how to do something. Some people want to write kids books or like fiction. So there's so many different things uh, that a lot of people are just really inspired by the idea of it. Yeah. Do you find that, I mean, obviously you work primarily with nonfiction books Mm -hmm. when, when the work that you do. Do you find that there's a specific genre? Like, do most people want to write life stories? Do most people want to write or, or is it pretty across the board? So I think everybody wants to have some element of their life in the book. And that's that's something when I first start talking to people, I'm like, OK, is it a memoir or is it a book that teaches people how to do something? Um, because those are two different genres. So if you're thinking about writing a book, one of the first things you should figure out is what, like, where would it sit? in a bookstore, like what shelf would it be on what section? Um, and most people, at least the ones that I talk to want to write a book that will help people. Like they're sharing their story and what they've learned. And that sort of fits into the bigger lessons. And, um, a lot of business books and how to books in general, like they're kind of boring if they don't have stories, right? And so you can't really write a good nonfiction business book or something like that if it doesn't have color to it. Like you can tell other people's stories, but then as the author, you're kind of absent from the book and that's not good. So you really do need to be sharing your own lessons learned and show why you are the person to tell this story. And so I generally find like the the teaching books that also tell what the author's been through or the things that people are looking for. Obviously, 81%, that's a pretty big percent of people who actually want to write a book. Do you know what the percentage is of people who actually do it? It's less than 1%. Less than 1%. Okay. And I mean, your job is essentially making that percentage higher. Why 
isn't the percentage higher of people who actually do it if 81% want to? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think historically, it was just opportunity. So before self-publishing was a thing, you had to get permission from someone else to publish your idea. You know, like you had to pitch it to publishers or literary agents and have someone be like, oh, okay, yeah, I think we can make money from this because it's a for-profit industry, right? And so these um, companies are looking for authors that already have a big following. Maybe they do a lot of speaking engagements. They have big social media following, lots of people on their website. And they will ask you to quantify that when you put your book proposal together. So if you don't have a lot of those things, or maybe you're new, it doesn't really matter how good your idea is. Most of the time, you're probably not going to get that book deal, which is unfortunate. And so a lot of people who had really good ideas and also knew that they could sell the book and the book would help them moving forward. They just didn't have the the following built up quite yet. They weren't able to do it. But now with self-publishing, more people can, they're free to publish their own stuff. So I think the percentage of people is going up. Like self-pub stats are crazy year over year where it's just like more and more people are choosing to self-publish because authorship is more accessible than it used to be. So if people are now able to put in like the time and the work, because it is it is a lot of work and I'm sure that's a barrier for a lot of people. Um, but at least now, if you're willing to put in the work and do all that, logistically, there's a way you can get it out into the world. When did things change from being, you need to have a publisher to now self-publishing? Yeah, so I think Amazon has played like a really big role in that. Like it was CreateSpace, now it's KDP. Um, but they've made it so that it's easy to um, have distribution online. And I think that was the thing where it's like before you could get your book printed, but you'd still be like responsible for getting it out there. Now it's like at least if you put the right keywords and stuff on online, like people can find it organically. And that happened. I mean, gosh, I don't even know how how long it's been, but it's gotten a lot bigger in the past five years even. So I think that's been a big shift. And you said that, I mean, having a following was, was it essential to be able to get a book deal or is that something that, you know, is ideal, but like how necessary was it to have um, a following? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. Like if you found an editor who was in love with your story, they might like go up to like go to bat for you. Right. As their like passion project and, and help you get it published. Um, but for the most part, these publishing houses want to make money. That's part of the job too. And so not everyone needs to have a following. And I think like for fiction, like if you just have like an amazing book, like they can help you with that. But for business books, they really are looking for people who are a bit more established. I don't want to say it's impossible to get a book deal if you don't have a big following, but it's pretty unlikely. That makes sense. And whether you go the self-publishing route or the book deal route, do you think that there's like one factor or a primary factor that makes a book become successful or not? That's a good question. Yeah, I I don't think it's a publishing thing. So traditional publishing or self-publishing, most of the time the reader cannot even tell. Like your average reader doesn't know if the book, like where the book was published, as long as you do a good job, if you self-publish it and you like hire a proofreader and you hire a real cover designer and it looks good, I don't think the average person can even tell the difference. Um, So I think quality is one thing, like having a good book, obviously you're going to be more successful if you, if you have that, 
as opposed to like something just slapped together. But I think a lot of it is the momentum that you have going. Like if you're, I mean, I guess we should talk about what do you mean by success? Like that's, that's generally like the first thing I ask authors on, on the call when I, when I do like a discovery call, I'm like, what does success look like to you? And for some people, it would be, um, sharing their ideas and helping people. I love that answer. It's a little vague. So I'm like, okay, what else? Like, are we trying to, um, like build a company, build a following? Like, are you trying to quit your full-time job and start your own consulting business or get more public speaking? Or like, how do you want to be known? Um, So we get more specific about what does success look like and get really clear on goals. And then when I'm working with people, I help them write the book so that it aligns with those goals. And so it's not always about sales of a book. Usually people are writing a book because it ties to something that uh, at least for business books, like cost more than the price of the book. And so if they're able to get more speaking or consulting, it's a successful project for them because the book helps elevate their personal brand and their thought leadership. Do you find that there's kind of one very common definition of success or do you find that that there, I know you mentioned that getting more of those speaking opportunities is, is a common piece to yeah. that definition one, I think, I think the definition of success for a lot of people is, is it going to help their career? Whatever that is, like, are they trying to get bigger clients? Are they wanting to become more well-known for something? A lot of my clients are going after board positions. That can be something that is really rewarding for people, especially if they've been in corporate for a long time and they're sort of looking to retire, but don't want to retire all the way. Um, getting advisory roles or board positions can be a good way to have income coming in and they're still able to like help at a high level and make a difference. And so that's, you know, something that is what they're looking for, or just like more and more authorship is becoming like the thing that shows that you're established in your field. And if you don't have that, I think sometimes people are worried about getting left behind or they see their, you know, their peers doing it. And so I think if you're able to use it as a way to keep your career going up, your career stock, then that's like a good goal. Mm -hmm. What do you find is the number one thing that actually prevents people from writing their book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just like imposter syndrome. People think they can't do it, which is like everyone has imposter syndrome. Like it doesn't really matter like who you are or what, like, and you already have it about something else probably, right? Like with like your field or something. And then when it comes to writing a book, it just, it makes people feel really self-conscious. And it's, it's weird for me to see that because I work with a lot of people who are like their executives at big companies. They went to Ivy league schools. They have like all these credentials that would make you feel like they're super confident and they have no doubts like in what they're doing. And it's not like that. Like everybody feels when they start talking about writing the book, they're like, do people really care about what I have to say? Do I really have anything to say that's worthwhile. Is this stupid? Are people going to think think less of me? Like everyone gets those thoughts. And I think it's hard to push past that sometimes. So I think that's a big thing where like people are like, oh, I should sit down and write. But then they're like, oh, does it even matter? You know, the people mm-hmm. who actually sit down and do it are the ones who become authors. You just got to get past that imposter syndrome. Definitely. I think that was another thing that you talked about in the summit as well and the vulnerability piece of it. And I actually just had a conversation on another episode with somebody who also wrote a book 
when he was younger. So I wrote my book when I was, I think I started it when I was 16 and published it when I was 17. Um, and he, oh, he published <laughs> and <laughs> funny enough, it's about defining success, but more in your life sense. So, uh, and then this person who I was having a conversation with, he had written his book when he was a senior in college. And we were talking about how a lot of times people come up to us and are like, Oh, that must've been so hard to write a book when you're young. And what we both kind of were talking about is how, it honestly probably made it so much easier because we were naive and ignorant in a sense to where despite naivety and ignorance having kind of a bad connotation, it can be incredibly helpful when it comes to taking action. Because if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know that you, you should be anticipating this fear of like, what are other people going to think? What are, and generally when you're younger, you have that ignorance, you have a little bit of naivety. You're, you're so much more likely to take action when you have that Obviously, if we're talking like thousands of years ago, it's not necessarily good to be naive and not necessarily good to just completely ignore the fears. But nowadays we have so many psychological fears that don't actually put us in danger, but don't allow us to do the things that we actually want to do. And so that's one thing that I realized is like, if you can be naive and learn to I mean, not, you don't ever want to learn to be naive or learn to be ignorant in a sense, but being able to not worry so much about what other people are going to think. But then when we get older, it's kind of something that just becomes ingrained in us, the more that we experience. It's tricky. Yeah. I think, um, the constant worrying what other people think is hard because that makes it trickier to like settle on a direction and go with it. And when I'm working with people and sometimes they'll tell me a story and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the best example. And I'll write it down and then they'll see it. And they're like, oh, I don't know if we should include that because it might upset so-and-so. I like hate that. And it it does happen sometimes. And I'm like, no, it, it's so good. Like this is juicy. It's interesting or it's like humbling or there's something that is colorful that people will remember and connect with. Sometimes people are so... um worried about that, like scared to be vulnerable, scared of, of being judged and that kind of thing. And I've seen that happen where they take all those like juicy bits out of the book and like what you have left is not as good. So I think like having confidence and knowing that you're going to be vulnerable and it's going to be great. That's like a prerequisite for it. So in those situations, when you're working with a client who wants to take something out for that reason, how do you go about that? Like, do you end up kind of influencing them to keep it in, but keeping it anonymous or do, do all those pieces get left out because of them being worried? I totally advocate for what I think is best for the book. And, and I think that's something where it's like, I'm glad that people like this because I can't stop doing it. But I like my, my clients will tell me that I like don't mince words and I'll like tell them exactly what I'm thinking. And if I'm, if I, if there's a story where I'm like, I don't like that, I'll be like, I don't think you should put that in there. You know, like there's something better, but the really juicy stories, if they try to, um, if they're worried about it, yeah, we figure out what, what can we do to keep it in? So making it anonymous is a great way to do that if it's possible to do that. Sometimes we can do composite characters. You can kind of have it, the example seem like they're coming from different people so that it's less recognizable. And we'd have like a disclaimer about that in the book, just so that it's not like misrepresentation. But sometimes it's just people coming to terms with the fact that like, if they're honest about something, somebody they know might not like it, whether that's like a family member or a friend or a past coworker. And it's just like, it's something that happened. It's your truth, like your story, right? Like this is how you perceived it and what happened to you. So 
it's up to them in the end. I mean, I've seen people talk about like their brother, their like old like bookkeeper, their boss, like it's, it's a little, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Those are the stories people want to hear though. Definitely. Do you find, so like, whether that's the reason that somebody might be scared to put their book out there or whatever, wherever the imposter syndrome is coming from, do you find that your clients typically experience that imposter syndrome or fear or that challenge in the beginning phase, in the middle, towards the end, or is it kind of all throughout the process? I feel like it is there the whole time. (laughs) I wish I could say it goes away. I don't think it does. I don't know. Like I'm working with one woman who her book is so good. Like I don't, I don't want to talk about it too much, but she has a, she got a book deal. She's amazing. The book is so good. Every time I have like a coaching call with her, she's like, so do you really think people are going to like it? I'm like, yes. Like I'm not, I am not one to like, just tell you it's great if it's not like it is going to be awesome but I just like it's so weird to me that she just can't remember that it's like she doesn't internalize the fact that her book is great and people will love it like it's always like a questioning which maybe I guess is a good thing to some degree because it's pushing her to do more research and try harder and like make it the best she can be but like it's already going to be good so I don't know it's weird I think it's like it's hard to like arrive at something like that. Right. Like, do you ever feel like you're like, no, I'm fully confident. It doesn't matter what happens. I am here. Like, I don't think anyone ever feels that way. Yeah. I remember when I was writing mine, I never felt like there was an end. And I think luckily there was a point where I just had to say like, it's done. And that's so hard. Do you find that that's hard when you work with your clients of finding an end point? Or are you able to be like, no, this is good. And then you tell them it's done. Or do you always feel like there could be more changes? That's a great question. So when I'm ghostwriting, I structure the agreement so that we have an average of two rounds of edits per chapter. And that helps keep people on track. Because if you keep editing the same chapter over and over and over again, you will never finish your book because you're never focusing on anything but rewriting the same thing. So people get stuck in that rut. So I have a, um, a spreadsheet that I use. I use like a, like a Google sheet. And I've got the rounds of revisions in columns and the chapters in rows and we track it. So we're like, I do the whole chapter at once. I'm like, here's chapter seven. They give me feedback and I'm like, okay, that's round one. I mark it down. And then we get to round two. I'll maybe let it go like one more round, but I'm, then I'm like, okay, just so you know, like average of two rounds of edits, this went to three rounds. And sometimes I'll put the kibosh on it where it's like, we're going to have to just, um, move forward right now. And if we have more time at the end and more room, we can come back to it and look at it and polish it a little bit more. But for now, let's keep going because we want to make our deadline. That's so smart to have whatever the number needs to be, depending on what you're doing, to have that in there because Mm -hmm. otherwise I could see. And then like, I'm sure there'd be a point where the edits turn into like a complete change of direction. That's a good point too. We always start with a really good outline. And I think that is essential for having a good book because I was getting leads who'd come to me and they'd say, I want to write a book. Let's figure out what the topic is. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And I'd have other people come and they say, I wrote a book. It needs some work. And from there, I'd, I mean, I've spent more time editing a book um, and untangling ideas than if I had just ghostwritten the whole thing from scratch. And it's because they didn't start with a good outline. So if you start with a really good outline and you know where things go, it doesn't just tell you what you're writing about. It tells you what you're not writing about because that thing is already somewhere else. So if you can just stay on topic in your chapter, 
that's huge. That in itself, like you shouldn't need to rewrite it more than a couple of times just to tweak it. If all, if you already know where the information is going and that's not changing. How long does it typically take on average to write? And okay, I guess that's a really hard question because it's like depending on how big your book is, but it does depend on the length of the book. Um, books, when I first started, gosh, it was like, I don't know, 13 years ago, um, books were like 65,000 words or more for the traditional publishing houses. Lately, I've done ones that are closer to like 35,000 words, 40,000 words. I even had one that was 17,000 words, which actually like had images and charts and looked like a real book. I was like, this is not a book, but it was. So books are trending shorter. So that's good for authors because it's a more manageable project. But in terms of total time, it's hard because you can't really like quit your job and just write the book. Most people can't do that. Sometimes people can, but I find for most people, they're able to carve out like a handful of hours a week and and do it that way. And so if I'm ghostwriting for a client, I say try to have at least four hours a week for a few months. And it depends on their availability as well. So maybe four months, to six months, depending on how long the book is, is usually pretty comfortable for writing and editing. And then from there, once it goes into self-publishing, we usually like to allow like four months for that. We can go faster, but that's like for copy editing, proofreading, interior layout, proofing it again, buying the ISBNs, doing all the project management stuff. It just takes some time for us to do it, have the author review it, come back, make the changes. There's just lots of rounds. So you can do it in less than a year if you self-publish. If you go through a traditional publishing house, sometimes it's like, it's a lot longer. They got really backed up over COVID with paper shortages and stuff like that. So like my clients got a book deal. The book was already written and they were like, okay, yeah, like it'll be published in two years. I know it's crazy. What? That's crazy. Yeah. They, they, but they wanted to go with that public. They wanted the brand name of a traditional publisher. That's something they, they thought was worth waiting for. And so the book is scheduled to come out in February of next year. This just depends. Like there's pluses and minuses to um, different publishing routes. But if you're going for speed, self-publishing is way better than traditional publishing. So that, that one that you just gave as an example when you say it was already written, it was already like completed or it was just the manuscript was outlined and like not edited yet? I finished ghostwriting it and we submit, like we submitted the full manuscript. So we did the book proposal, the sample chapters. It went through the deal. Like by the time they got the book deal and all the paper was signed, like I had finished the manuscript draft. The publisher, I think asked for some edits later, which is pretty typical but that thing was done. It was pretty close to done like a a long time ago. That's crazy. Are they still backed up to where if you were to go through that publisher or traditional publisher similar, it would be that long? I think they might've caught up a little bit, but it's still kind of backed up because they weren't, they had so many books in the queue. There were so books ahead of those ones. I don't think it was necessarily like they're doing anything with that book. They're just waiting to release it because they've got so many more ahead of that. Yeah. So is the reason why they wait because they want the books to come out spaced out or is it because they physically cannot get the book out because of that many books before? I think it's both. They're planning their sales schedule ahead of time and what what books are coming out when and having like different sorts of books coming out at at one time so that books aren't competing with each other and, and things like that. Yeah. 
And do most authors who go through a traditional publisher, do the publishers come to them or do they come to the publisher and say, I have this idea and I have this following? Good question. Um, It's really both. There are some publishers that target thought leaders, quote unquote thought leaders, and where they say, oh, this person would be a really good person to have a book. We could sell this book. So they reach out to the person and they say, hey, are you interested in writing a book? We'll help do the outline for you. And they do that. And then they sort of give it to them as an assignment. So that's one way of doing it. But for the most part, it's the other way around. So the author would go to the literary agent and then the literary agent pitches the publishing house. Okay. And do the, when the publisher reaches out to a thought leader, do those get prioritized before? I mean, I'm sure it depends maybe on the publishing house, but probably. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would assume cause, but I was just curious. I didn't even realize that ghostwriting books was a thing until, I mean, until I got into kind of learning more about writing and wanted to publish my own book. What percentage of books are actually ghostwritten? I have heard that at any given point, half of the books on the New York Times bestsellers list, um, half are ghostwritten. Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So if you, if you think about, um, the authors who are having books come out, there are a lot of people that aren't professional writers. Maybe they are in government or they, they're, they do acting or singing or like, they're an influencer or they're a chef. All those people are busy with their own lives, their own job, and they don't necessarily have writing as like a strong skill set. So all of those people, there's really a chance that they worked with a ghostwriter or like a a writing partner or something like that. Like some some capacity, they got a significant amount of help. Not everyone, for sure, not everyone. But it, it really is like a factor of like, do you have time to do this? Do you have the interest in doing it? And do you have the skills to do it? And having all of those is hard. Is there a way to know whether a book that you pick up is ghostwritten? Because I mean, the author just says the author. How do you? Yeah. So sometimes it'll say with so-and-so on the cover, they get cover credit. But usually if you're a writer, you get paid less if you have cover credit. So a lot of times people would rather just have the money because that's their job, you know? And like in my contracts, I have it that my name will be in the acknowledgement section and it's up to the author, however they want to word that. And so that's how I can show that I was involved in the book. And I also have it so that um, on my resume, I can disclose my ghostwriting arrangements just so that I can show my portfolio, right? Not every ghostwriter, especially if you're when you're starting out, like not everybody thinks that or thinks that they even have the right to do that. And so I feel bad for writers who are like, yeah, I've written like five books, but I can't tell you what they are. Like, and then I'm like, you can't even tell me like if I'm like, because we we have I've I've got like 30 people on my team, and so I've got other ghostwriters who help with books, and it's like, how am I supposed to hire you if I can't tell for sure what you worked on? It's really hard, yeah. and so. Writers do need to be able to show what they did. And I think that ghostwriting is something like the perception has shifted a lot, um, especially in recent years where it used to be something that people wanted to hide. And now I feel like it's almost like a status symbol where it's like, no, I got someone to help me do this thing because it's an expensive thing. It's hard, right? And so like, also I think people are more authentic and they're like, 
people see my emails, they know that I did not write this book. You know, it's like you've seen their writing, you know, they're getting help. So I think that um, at least with my clients, they're pretty honest about how I help them or that I've worked with them in some capacity, which is good for me because that also helps me get more work. Look in the acknowledgement section, see whose name is in there and see what it says. And even if it's like vague, like, I mean, because they might say like, oh, thanks. Thank you to so-and-so for always having a great attitude and believing in me and for your power with words. That could be a ghostwriter. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Does it ever feel weird if, I mean, I know you said that you kind of put it in your contract to make sure that you get some level of credit. Does it ever feel weird not having your name on the book and seeing that, I mean, you pretty much write the whole thing, but they give you the content, right? Or And does yeah. that vary about like, to what extent the actual author is putting in the actual yeah, writing? It can vary. I, I do work with authors who write sections of their book. If they have time, they might like have chunks in every chapter that they write. Um, even though that's, they don't need to do that. They just feel inspired when they're working on it. And, um, some of their writing ends up in there. Um, I've got other clients that I work with where I do coaching, where they do most of the writing, but not having my name on it, like I, I feel okay with that. I mean, I guess I would have to because this is like the field that I'm in, right? But I don't want necessarily want to become known for the these topics that I'm writing about. You know, it's like they're very niche topics. Like sometimes I'm doing books on sales or HR, managing from a distance. Um, I've done like women's leadership, DEI. Um, I did a beauty book. Like I've done books on all these different topics. I don't really feel like oh, this is my niche where I want to become known as an expert in this field. That's like not what I'm going for. And I also don't feel like I could write this book without the client because I'm not that expert, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, it doesn't feel like, oh, I, I, this is my book. Like it's like our collaboration where they have the knowledge and I just help them get it out there. So as long as the author is good to work with, that's really what I'm looking for. Like I want an interesting project. I'm not looking for like an ego thing or to have my name on it. But if the author is able to like give me referrals, that's great. That helps me get more work. And that's even better than have my name on it. Yeah. So and then I'm talking about from the perspective of of wanting to be the author. But on the other hand, like wanting to become a ghostwriter. I know you started with writing a book for your boss, correct? Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you started and then like how you might recommend other people to yeah. start? I always wanted to write books ever since I was really little. My mom was a librarian when I was growing up. I went to school for journalism. I always wanted to write books. I just didn't really know how to do that. And journalism, like all the newspapers were closing when I graduated college. It just didn't seem that good of a field to go into. So I went into marketing and I was working for an HR consulting firm. Uh, managing the marketing department when uh, a literary agent approached my CEO and said, I know of a publisher who's looking for an HR expert. Would you, so he got approached. So that was a good question that you asked, like who, like where the demand lies or whatever. But in that case, the literary agent approached him and um, he said, yeah, I would love to, to write a book, but like, who's going to write it? <laughs> because I don't have time. And I was like, I'll write it. Cause I'd always wanted to, to do that. And so I put together the book proposal. It got picked up and I ended up writing like 99% of that book. We did um, a marketing campaign with it. It ended up becoming a New York Times bestseller. And I was 27 at the time. And I was like, all right, this is what I want to do with my life. We did another book through the company 
And uh, the CEO sold it, sold the company um, to a private equity firm. And he went on to be a professional speaker and consultant, which is what he really wanted to do. Um, and then I started my business on the side and just like built that up for a couple of years until I could move it full time. And that was, I think, 11 years ago. How did you get clients after that? Were you reaching out to people and just saying, hey, let me write your book or? It was a lot of word of mouth. And and to be honest, my old CEO who I wrote the book for was a great like sponsor for me. So even like more than a mentor or a sponsor who was like willing to vouch for me. And he got a lot of questions just being a public speaker, going around having a book. People would say, oh, I want to write a book. How did you do that? And he'd say, oh, you should talk to Amelia. And so I got a lot of clients that way. And then when I did a good job working with them, the same thing would happen where they'd get approached and they'd ask, like people would ask them how they, because probably same thing happens to you. How'd you write your book? And so these people who use ghostwriters, just, they would just pass my name along. And my company, Pithy Wordsmithery, we do editing and proofreading, cover design. And we do so many other things too, that I think that's been helpful for having the company grow just because for people who aren't interested in just the ghostwriting or a little like shy about it. We have all these other services that can help them become an author. Definitely. Is that how, I mean, how do most people then get into ghostwriting? Can you get into it without having an opportunity like you did with your boss? You can. I think getting your first book is the hardest, right? It helps to have your resume of uh, places that you've written for, even if they're just articles. I ha- I had that just through the company. So we would submit a lot of articles to industry publications, which is something you can always do and a great way to, to get your name out there and build up your resume. So if you're like a new writer, younger writer, and you want to do that, like just seeing where you can get published with shorter things, because I think the more, the more you have on your portfolio, the more trust you're going to get. And from there, it's probably just like starting small and having somebody give you a chance And like as a newer ghostwriter, you're not going to be able to charge as much. And for some people, they don't have the budget for it. And so that could be a good fit where it's sort of like a learning thing for the writer and like a lower risk thing for the author just because they're not paying as much. I know you help people successfully market their book as well. Is that part of what ghostwriters do or is that just what you do with the pithy wordsmithery? Yeah, I don't think I don't think most ghostwriters are marketers necessarily. So I think that's a unique niche for us. And that's helped a lot because um, I think a big selling point for us is making sure that the person's writing the book that's the best for them and their niche and their goals instead of being like reactionary. I think a lot of ghostwriters are like, yeah, I'll write a book. Tell me the story. I'm like, you want to write a book? Let me help you figure out what the story is. Like that's the difference. But yeah, we do marketing. We do book launch marketing for authors, mostly like strategy and consulting, like teaching them how to have a book launch as part of their marketing strategy. Yeah. I feel like that's one thing that I wish I would have thought about earlier because people talk about writing a book. I think at least for me, when I was younger, my mind immediately went to, oh, that's so much work, so much time you put into actually writing it. But I got to the end and I think that was when I realized, oh, this is where the real like not the real work, but like, that's where a lot more work is just starting. It's just a different type of work. So if you're not prepared for that. Yeah. It's very sobering. <laughs> people, people, it's yeah. like it's such bad news for a lot of authors when I'm like, okay, like 
there's a lot more that you haven't thought of that you're going to need to do. But we, we talk about that from the beginning and we figure out how we can kill two birds with one stone with marketing because you're creating all this content, which you can then put into smaller versions to post to social. So they could be social media posts, articles, things on like your blog posts, e-blasts. You could turn it into um, like podcast episode. There's like so many things that you could do um, to make it easier to do marketing, but yeah, you totally need to market. And so I think like the clients I'm working with who are already doing marketing for their business have the easiest time with it because they're not starting a new project with marketing. They're, they just have a lot of content that they can incorporate into this machine that's already running. Definitely. And as far as marketing goes too, I mean, obviously everything's, changing in the world, just in, in a lot of aspects, do you anticipate any trends in the marketing industry specifically with writing your book and marketing your book that would affect the way that people need to market themselves? Or do you find that like, it's a lot more solid principles that you kind of just need to know to be able to do that successfully? I mean, I think everything is always getting a little bit more saturated, you know, like more and more people are becoming active on social and like their professional, like their professional brand, people are getting a little bit like savvier with creating like videos and doing things. And so I think like the competency level with marketing has gone up a lot. Like people understand what personal brand means. Whereas like 10 years ago, like, I don't think that was necessarily a thing for a lot of people. Another big trend, like we can't really ignore is AI. So chat GPT is, um, it can be quite helpful for social posts. I mean, to be honest, like for books, it's still not something that's super usable because I mean, you can tell that the writing is chat GPT, but it's never going to know the stories in your head and your own perspective on it. So it can't substitute good writing, but for social posts, it can give you a pretty good starting point for a lot of things. And so um, I just always think about marketing and like, is it turning into a commodity? Like how, um, how, much will people be willing to pay if, if they can just type in a prompt and have chat GPT spit something out that's like maybe not perfect, but good enough as a starting point that they can edit it quickly. That's something that's changing with marketing for sure. Do you think that chat GPT or any AI, either current or in the future that could be created, would ever replace a job like your ghostwriting? For really high level skilled ghostwriting, I don't see that happening because chat GPT cannot get what's in someone's head, right? And so it's their stories that add all the color, but it certainly, especially as it gets better, is a great tool that makes the job easier, right? Like I I use chat GPT for my books for different parts of it, like little things here and there. So I definitely think that it's a tool that people will use. And the people who are able to use it better will have a leg up. I started using it kind of in like the creation process for books where, for example, we're doing a book for a client who is a civil engineer and he wants to write a book to help encourage younger kid, like high school students to become civil engineers, specifically like young people from minority communities. And so me, I, that's not my demographic. I'm not a high schooler. I never had any interest in civil engineering. Like I like, that's not the side of my brain that functions particularly well. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I need to like get in the head of my target market. How do I do this? So like ask chat GPT, 
Like, what do high school students want to know about becoming a civil engineer? Give me a list of 50 things. And it spits out a list of 50 things where it's like, what's the hardest class I'm going to take in college? How much money am I going to make? How hard is the job? Like, what's the, and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of all these things. And I'm like, okay, this is what we should cover in the book. We should at least look through these things and make sure we are covering these things, at least, you know, some of them. So I think it can, it can help with stuff like that in unexpected ways. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great example. It's like, you know, you're not going to completely be able to ghostwrite a book while using that, but using that as, as a tool. I know a lot of times people also think like, uh, when they're writing a book or when they have ideas for multiple books, the question is like, how do I know whether this is actually an idea worth pursuing? So from your perspective, how do you know if a book idea is viable and something worth pursuing? Yeah. That's something that you could ask ChatGPT. I don't know if that's a ChatGPT thing, but I think that this is probably like one of the most valuable things you could like, if you're going to get help with your book, this is the spot to start. Right. And so when I'm working with clients, I I call this phase one, but it's kind of like figuring out what the ideas are, which one makes the most sense and positioning it. I mean, we, we talk about the ideas ahead of time and see if it's like viable And sometimes it's just like choosing between a couple different ideas or figuring out like the nuances of the strategy. But I mean, a lot of it comes down to, does it tie to your personal brand? Are you, do you have something around this topic that costs more than the book? Do you want it to tie to revenue streams like five, 10 years from now? If all that stuff lines up and you've got like a unique perspective on something, then there's like, we can build it out from there. But there are, I mean, there are things where it's like, I'm not quite sure that we're ready for that yet. Most of the time, I think it's like, if people aren't really sure the direction they want to go with their career and their life, we need to pause on the book. (laughs) Yeah. What if, I mean, what if you're in a position where there isn't necessarily a bigger thing that you're trying to tie it to, but you want to get the word out? Is it a smart idea to, and I I think it goes back to the question of what is your definition of success with the book, but is there a way to know whether a book is viable if it's not going to necessarily make you a bunch of money? Yeah, you can test the content with people in shorter format. Like that's probably like the best way to see if there's an audience for it. And it's not like a book has to like, like your marker of success has to be like, oh, I'm going to get rich from this. Like that's not necessarily like what even a lot of people are going for. Like a lot of times people just want to help people. And so you can figure out if your content's doing that by posting it to social, sending it out in an email to your list. Like, are you getting good feedback from people? If you aren't, it might be a sign that like, there's, it's like too basic or there's too much stuff out there that's similar to it. So, I mean, even before you commit to writing a full book, you should definitely like test the waters a little bit and see how people are receiving your content. And that can really like inform how you move forward. That's a great idea. I appreciate all of, all of this. And uh, at the end of each of my episodes, I encourage the guests to create a challenge for anybody listening that relates to our conversation. So if you have a challenge already, otherwise something that, you know, maybe a challenge that you have for somebody who's considering writing a book, Um, or you can make it general, but what is a a challenge that you would like to share? I would say, instead of just thinking about it do something about it, because I think a lot of people think about writing a book and it starts to feel like this big, heavy, scary thing. But if you can actually just start 
doing something, it makes it seem easier and you can step into that role of being an aspiring author. I am actually launching the Authors Club uh, next month, October. So we'll see when the podcast comes out. Hopefully it'll be live already. But I just want to create a space for people who are interested in writing a book and want to learn a little bit more and sort of like get some accountability from peers, meet other aspiring authors. We're going to do live writing sessions a couple of times a month where we're going to get on Zoom. Everybody's going to turn off their microphone, turn off their camera, and we're going to sit knowing that we're together. We're all in it together and then just try to get words on paper. So I think like instead of just thinking about it, doing it, and then learning a little bit more about um, how to do it well, right? Like how do you start a chapter? How do you interview people? Like how do you do your outline? So we'll cover all that stuff. So keep an eye out for the Authors Club. Awesome. And I will put that in the description so everybody can go and check that out. Anywhere else that you want people to find you? Any other resources of yours that you want to share? Yeah, the company is Pithy Wordsmithery. And you can find us online. Uh, We're on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube. Awesome. And I will put the links for that in there as well. Thank you again so much for the conversation and all of all of the awesome advice that you've given. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.